Greetings, fellow investigators, and welcome to our video podcast, Into the Darkness, where my friends and I play the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I'm your host, Tom Rayleigh. In a few weeks, we will begin a campaign entitled Intersections, using a variation called World War Cthulhu Cold War. It was created by Dominic McDowell, developed by Scott Dorwood, and written by Scott Dorwood, Matthew Sanderson, and Paul Fricker. Matthew is going to be our game master, and we thought it was a good idea that the players would all get together and create our characters and discuss with Matthew the variations in the game. Uh, for those of you who may wonder, some of our players uh, couldn't make it tonight, especially Bill Mize, who's still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Irma. We hope the damage to his home is minimal. So it's time to set our minds back into the 1970s, and hopefully there won't be a duck and cover drill to interrupt us. Um, take it away, Matthew. Okay, thank you very much, Tom. Right, the, the first thing to do off the bat, I think, is to do a quick overview of the setting for World War Cthulhu Cold War. Okay. Um, this has a, think of it as an investigator organization from uh, Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, that there is a group uh, dynamic that binds you all together. And that is that you are members of a multinational organization referred to as Section 46. Uh, this is a continuation of the setting that was in World War Cthulhu, the, um, the Darkest Hour, the Second World War setting, that what was at that point um, Network N that existed within the SOE, the Special Operations Executive, um, has progressed beyond the Second World War, where you were performing a um, operations um, usually behind enemy lines as saboteurs, assassins, etc. Whereas you are now playing spies that are active within the Cold War theatre. Um, Section 46 is run by a shadowy and somewhat aging spymaster, codename designation N, um, who has made contact with you because in the course of your operations, you have all seen something that frankly you can't explain, something that is otherworldly. In other words, you have had a brush with the Cthulhu mythos. And N has gathered these like-minded people for the common purpose of combating such threats, because with the world on the brink of nuclear annihilation, the last thing you want is the mythos getting involved in that as well. The Western intelligence agencies um, have pockets of Section 46 working within them, but they don't necessarily operate officially. Um, this is something that N is being still covert about and still being the puppet master behind the scenes, making sure that any missions that you are going out on for your respective agencies, if there is a mythos threat there, then you're the person on the ground that's going to be dealing with them. So all the characters will be members of Section 46. Um, you may or may not have met each other previously because um, you can work very much as loan operatives as well as cell members being transferred, working with one group, one uh, with one operation, working with another group in another case. Um, so we're, as part of the character gen process, we'll sit down and see who's worked with who before, who knows who from which other, um, potentially other missions or other mythos encounters, and really start to build up a bit of background history in the terms of how you've come into the intelligence services, as well as how you have interacted with the mythos as well. So, uh, anyone with any questions at this point? Um, I I just want to observe. 
it sounds it sounds very similar to let's say Delta Green, <laughs> but solid, but set in the Cold War area. Um, I mean, sort of. <laughs> yeah, in in the kind of th if you draw a parallel using Delta Green, imagine this was. Um, Delta Green, but spread over multiple inter uh, multiple nations and multiple intelligence agencies, rather than being U.S. centric. Right. So the whole um, world, right? Yeah. So th this broadens the canvas, as it were. And also, it's not so much worried about the the fact that there are facets within your government that are dealing with the mythos. There is no Majestic Twelve um, parallel here. Um, the closest thing to your main adversary in that respect is that there is a shadowy figure that some agents have whispered about and some agents have referred to as H. Um, they don't know whether she's connected with the Soviets, they don't know whether she's connected with another power or whether she's a completely her own player. But the only common denominator, people have never met her in person, they've only ever met her in their dreams, where they've uh, reported seeing this person, but sometimes this, there is a physical similarity, like the, maybe the same color hairstyle or maybe the same piercing color eyes, but they've always mentioned the fact that she knows so much about me, she knows so much about what's going on, that she refers to N um, by the letter, by the designation, knowing that she's talking about that particular person that, that binds you all together. This is someone who's very much got their own agenda and it seems to be hostile to yours because um, N has definitely laid down a warning to say, yeah, this, this person is to be treated as hostile. But unless you have the appropriate security clearance, citizen, you're not gonna find out too much more about her at that point. Now, um, what, uh, considering the, the, the mythos itself, um, to what extent, you say that we've had an encounter of some sort, um, after that, following that encounter, to what extent did we learn more or, uh, you know, how much do we know? Uh, that is going to be determined mostly by character generation, okay. but there's, um, because there are options to take mythos packages um, so that you could actually start with a reasonable degree of the Cthulhu mythos skill. So, yeah, you, you are, in that sense, clued in. You do have a degree of the mythos skill to start with. Okay. And of course, N has a lovely stack of books um, that most human beings shouldn't read the entire list without going completely gaga. So. But the, the classic books exist, uh, like uh, Necronomicon is hidden away in the Miskatonic universe. Does Miskatonic exist and all that? Oh, oh yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's, there's definitely some tomes that exist in N's office, which uh, historically he owns this office above a bookstore in uh, just off Trafalgar Square. Uh, where the few times that anyone, when they've been in the UK, uh, in the UK have gone to meet him, because um, he is based in he is based in London, uh, is you fairly sparse. Apart from he has a single desk, and then off in the corner there's a uh, bookcase where is neatly there's rows of antiquarian books. There's a couple of worn out names on some of the titles like Unashpricklick and Colton, uh, Divermis Mysteries, Colt de Gould, and so on. Mm -hmm. And then scattered all over the floor as if they were worthless and irrelevant compared to the information on the shelves. Are just loads of files marked top secret, eyes only, etc. Just scattered all over the floor. Yeah, he, he is a person that definitely uh, treats his occult library with respect. I see. 
Our um, time period is the 70s? Yeah, uh, we're starting in November 1973. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, hmm. Have we... Uh, Sorry, have we done missions all over the world? So, like stuff like the the Myanmar conflict after the coup, and have we were we there probably for what Vietnam, Korea, Korea? It was Korea first, not Vietnam. Yeah, you certainly can have. Um, I'm a fairly open GM. I'll quite happily work around uh, work with whatever backgrounds you want to play. So the, there's nothing really prohibitive. Um, with the with the setting that says you can't do X, you can't do Y, you can't do Z, um, as long as it fits with the actual timeline. So you haven't done something in 1975 before you start uh, playing 1973, then yeah, by all means, um, throw out suggestions, and if you want to roll with it, then I'll I'll run with it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I guess uh, I should then ask because you say you're a very open GM. What are things that like restrictions that we like you say we cannot do? Like, off the top of your head, what are things that you do not want us to be a part of or have done or anything like that, so that we know not to do that? Um, the only thing that I would be wary of is if you wanted to be connected majorly with any terrorist organizations, because um, there is, obviously, as, as was the Cold War, there are numerous terrorist um, organizations operating at that time. and. Part of the setting is that you can start to infiltrate said groups, you can start to build trusts, relationships with them, um, trying to subvert them and so on and so forth, or in some cases, using them as the enemy of my, my enemy is my friend. And so you turn one group against another. Um, I'd be wary about getting too involved in that because I think those groups work more effectively as NPCs and as antagonists, but otherwise, I think pretty much everything else um, is free and on the table for you. Just be aware that there are consequences to some to some other some reprehensible actions. Okay. And we are a covert group, yes. Yeah, um, you'll be working um, as a group of. Cause I understand from the discussions we've had uh, that the consensus is you wish to play CIA agents. Um, that you'll be based out of the American consulate in um, the northern part of Istanbul. Okay. Cool. So you, your cover is that you'll be going there as consular agents. Um, so you won't, because no one um, accepts the fact that you're going to have CIA walking around town and acting, throwing around the flag and your badge. It, the, the locals are going to get pissed if you start doing that. Because um, no, no other government condones... Um, uh, intelligence agencies working on their soil. So by nature of your role, you have to be covert. So we're, we're kind of James Bondish, huh? Um, we, but with a bit, uh, with, but with a bit less gung ho, um, action and lots more paperwork. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so a real secret agent. Yeah. I was going to say the closest parallel, if we're thinking of, um, like spy fiction or spy thriller on TV, is if you ever get a chance to watch a series called The Sandbaggers from the late 70s, early 80s, I really, really recommend that. Because there's um, a lot of inspiration was drawn from that series for this. Okay. I feel like I just missed a whole bunch of stuff in the last five minutes, but I, 
you guys can catch me up as I need to, I suppose. Um, sure, sure. Well, we haven't well, started discussing the the character creation yet. We're just discussing okay. the, the the genre. But we're 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 covert, whatever we are, right? We can't be like, hey, we're Americans or non-Turkish. Oh, no, you, um, you're going on. You're going into Istanbul on the premise of being consular agents for the American consulate general that's based okay. in Istanbul. Okay. So um, you don't have to worry about doing dodgy accents. That's that's not a problem. Um, but to kind of blend to blend in and try and be Turkish, I mean that is. Um, you, you can quite happily be whatever ethnicity you want to be and wear that out in the open. It's that you are officially working for the Consulate General. All right. So um, kind of building off of Tom's question, how covert are we? Are we even covert within our own organization? Like, do we know each other's names? Uh, yeah, you'll you'll have a briefing where you are all brought together and said this is the um, this is the mission that you are being sent there to perform. And the only covert in terms of what your superiors will know is that your superiors aren't necessarily part of Section Forty Six. Uh, they may not know anything about the mythos at all. So you, you can end up walking a bit of a fine line trying to um, trying to decide who knows about the mythos, who doesn't, who do I say what to, who don't, who don't I say anything to. Oh man! <laughs> so we have superiors with non-Cthulhu mythos uh, experience that have put us in here, but we all secretly know that we're a part of forty-six. Yeah, and forty. Yeah, and forty forty-six will have its own agenda. Um, there are. Generally, to the Cold War Cthulhu and World War Cthulhu in general, missions operate on the basis that you have a intelligence mission and a mythos mission. The two generally will be set obviously in the same area, but don't necessarily collide in an obvious fashion. So it's not going to be having a case of you don't have to split yourself in two miraculously to solve both problems. That they are two very distinct flavors of operation that you're going to be dealing with. Okay. Cool. You look at some of the investigator stuff. <laughs> All right. So, shall we sort of look over the character creation sheet, or? Yep, can do. Right. Through the book. And most of this is going to be very familiar to you for uh, for um, familiar, being familiar with Call of Cthulhu. There's just a couple of extra steps that are bolted onto it, and extra skills and extra skill points and so on that uh, that are utilised in the setting. Okay. Um, should I should I put this up on the screen so people can see? Yeah, far away. Right. So that's what the character sheet looks like normally. You're yep. not going to be able to see the bottom because of the <laughs> the little overlay people, but that's just the weapon stuff anyway. Yeah. Well, Weapons are irrelevant anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, before getting into doing some of the number crunching, um, one of the things I always find quite uh, quite helpful to start off with is just start to bounce around ideas of what kind of role you want to um, fill. What's your kind of personality, your background, and think think of the person rather than the numbers first. So, has anyone got any? Concepts for characters, even even if it's only a bare line, couple of sentences um, that they they've got bounced around in their head, they want to share that other people might want to chime in with. I, I tend to like to to lean towards scientific uh, characters, so doctors, scientists, 
um, just because that's where I'm already fascinated with on the, in the outside world. I I went medic last time, as some of you know, for our last game. So I'd like to maybe not be medic this time. I mean, she was badass too, but you know, maybe pass off that duty to someone else. Unless no one takes it, then you know, I could, I guess. The the medic with the germaphobe was awesome. <laughs> with my backstory, which I'm coming up with right now as we're kind of talking, um, I'm imagining survivalists. So, mm. uh, and and and, I, and I'm and and because Cold War, I'm I'm also thinking maybe like an infiltrator type of thing. So uh, not so much talking, but disguise and definitely melee. Uh, well, we're, of... we're all CIA trained, so mm -hmm. we're pretty pretty well rounded, I imagine, as far as combat and stuff like that goes. Uh, depends on what type of spy you want to be. Um, there are various types of, you think of them, subclass within the intelligence services. I'll give you how about, some examples here. How about like interrogator? Is that a good area? The honeypot. Yeah, it could be um, what they call humor inked. So that'd be dealing with human intelligence, which could come under being a intelligence officer, perhaps, or even a field, uh, a type of field agent, a field officer. I, um, I like the, the idea of a, a very old school, sort of George Smiley style <laughs> intelligence officer. Mm -hmm. Someone who likes more, building more, networks more, of contacts. Yes, yes, more, more, more cerebral, more, more of a handler. Than, uh, yeah. than, mm. than the sort of gung ho communications. Good. I like. I like also building off of Nick the idea of uh, doing sort of a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy thing where it's all psychological. It's all subtle reading of people. Mm. But with the with the type of character I'm building, I don't know if if that'll work for me at least. But it's something to throw out. Did I see something? I was reading through, I, I got to play with Paul at a Necronomicon, and one of the, uh, kind of came up with it on the fly, um, I got involved with trying to sabotage some cars, and I think I saw that there's some information, like where I might be able to be like some sort of a field agent with a specialty in saboteur. Yeah, and, that that would be, um, you, could either be a, you could either be a technical specialist or um, covert actions operative, perhaps, but it, that could fit within a couple of different spheres. I was kind of thinking, like, kind of a, not necessarily computers, but more like, you know, if if there's a motor, I would know how to take it apart and put it back together. I could tell you how to best break that piece of equipment. And you're you're a monkey wrencher. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a fixer, or um, I guess I was going to shadow on there, but yeah, anyway. And then that, I think for the record, just so it's on there for the recording, Wayne was thinking of going nuclear physicist. Oh, yes. just so it's just so it's in the the video for Bill and anybody else. Um, cool. I like I the idea. Of being a, <laughs> I like the idea of being a big Irishman that that likes to break people's bones and make them talk. You know, I don't want to say thug, but I, I don't know. Oh, that sounds kind of fun. Intelligence extraction officer. <laughs> yes, yes. Oi. Information extraction officer. Percussive extraction. Yeah. Enhanced. Enhanced, right? Um, 
Matthew, what do you think of the idea of uh, of location contacts and handlers, like the spy that was planted in East Berlin that's a bit, that lives in East Berlin and is always there, um, and then he allows everyone to come in because he's he's the East Berlin guy. He knows everybody. So, what do you think of those? Is is that something that we shouldn't do, or something that we can play around with? I'd, I'd be wary of basing it in a particular location where not much action is going to happen, um, because we you could say you have all these contacts and all this network you've got set up for, for using that example in East Berlin. But if the campaign never goes there, then it's a nice cool bit of background that's never going to really get the chance to shine. But if you want to have um, being an operative that's based in Turkey, um, and in particular has done work in Istanbul and has started building up their own network there, then yeah, definitely. Because then that, that is something that you can get to use then. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to say also to the others that I, I did go through and I created a character for myself. And when I was looking at some of the things, you will end up, because you are in CIA, getting a lot more skill points. That's oh, yeah. kind of what I meant by being well-rounded. So, yeah, you have you have room to sort of specialize. For instance, you were saying, uh, Lucas, about medical. And yes. I kind of put down biology, but I put biology and forensics, which could include medical. You know, obviously, I'm a valuable person to the organization. I'm not just some, you know, school and teacher. <laughs> medical could be good for an intelligence extraction officer since you want to keep your people alive and healthy. They can't have safe? them dying on you when you're trying to get, you know, information out of them. Is it safe? <laughs> <laughs> You'll always have this little bottle of clo um, clove oil. Ready, just in, uh, just on the off chance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always like to make sure that the, that the person I'm working on is in good health. You're in good health. Your heart is okay. <laughs> Keep most of your blood in you. Yeah. All right. That's that's terrifying. That's freaking terrifying. <laughs> Especially if he's got dental instruments. Yeah, I would be uh, like. I will tell you anything you want to know right now. So, so the minute, um, mental note, the minute I make a Marathon Man reference, I know I've got you in there. <laughs> Where do we start looking for to get ideas? Is there something in the book that gives kind of like, I don't want to say class ideas, but kind of roundabout ideas? Yeah, um, if you skip a little bit forward um, to step six, um, this will give you an idea of agency, a specialized in, um, intelligence agency training. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So you'll be able to see things like the broad descriptions of intelligence analysts, field officers, surveillance officers, technical specialists, covert actions operatives, um, intelligence officer kind of subset there. Um, and also, one thing to consider is how you've got into the intelligence agencies, whether you're a direct recruit or that you've had a prior career before joining the agency. Hmm. Oh, I just realized I'm, everybody can see that. <laughs> yeah. It begins it begins on page thirty for uh, step six. Oh, let's look at that real quick. Page thirty. 
Oops. There we go. Step six. Mm-hmm. That's me sitting there with two phones. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and and I could be one of those people who talks really super fast. <laughs> and I said, can I put you on hold? Can I put you on hold? <laughs> you were an auctioneer before you... Uh... <laughs> And the laughs ensue as the two people who are listening to you get confused about who you're talking to. <laughs> Field officer, surveillance officer, technical specialist. Step seven. Yeah, so there's quite a few points that you can put in these things. An additional 200 skill points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of points to throw around at these. Additional meaning? Less than times four to education. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, A whole other level of um, points to spend. You've, you've, like I say, you've had special training. So. But those have to go amongst the eight specific skills that it lists there because that's your specialized training for to be in the CAA, right? Accounting. Computer use, cryptography, all that stuff. Is that my uh, Yes, they are amongst the specific skill set there. So, like for instance, as technical specialists on the screen at the moment, share out two hundred skill points amongst the following skills. So it then does list those ones that you would split those two hundred points over. I see. Yeah. Uh, climb, demolitions, dodge, fighting, uh, military, science, stealth. Oh, that's for intelligence analysts specifically. So it depends on the skills from that. Okay, okay. Now I get it. Yep. So, Matthew, um, what would you classify like uh, an agent and item extractor uh, within the the, the subclasses within World War Cthulhu? Uh, Because there are, uh, of course, there are are documents saying that CIA agents would extract high value uh, information targets from like Soviet Russia or East Berlin. So, yeah, I'd put that primarily as a as a field officer because it does say that human in, human intelligence um, is one of their primary um, primary focuses. Okay. Well, I will be going with that then. There you go. <laughs> Matthew, do you have a preference on like do you do you like to put a cap on the numbers? Like, what would be a reasonable skill set for these? Um, so, if you want to be pretty much field trained and professional in what you do, 60 points upwards is going to be a good good round num- a good round number to go for. Um, but I'm happy for you to take skills as high as you want to take them. Oh, wow. Okay. Just means, yeah, if you want to put 90-odd points in a particular skill, that means you're going to have very little share elsewhere. So mm-hmm. let's say so choices have consequence. <laughs> oh, maybe I was actually thinking about torturing people in this. Because my persuade is 80. (laughs) You can persuade them that that is indeed what you're going to do in a very convincing manner. (laughs) Now, I thought as far as convenient, I put some in Russian so that I can speak Russian. Yep. Good plan. Having multiple languages such as Russian, uh, Turkish, etc. will be a good idea. It's not an essential thing. Because I don't believe in language barriers in games, but it will give you access to more information. Right. 
So our initial, um, so like in a normal seventh edition, we would pick uh, an occupation. Mm -hmm. When I'm looking at these definitions for like field officer, covert option, covert actions operative, would those be considered our occupation then? Uh, those would be your agency training. You can have had an occupation before you joined the agency. At that point, that occupation is the one that you would choose as the normal part of character gen. Um, unless, if you haven't had a prior occupation, then you take intelligence officer as your occupation at that point in the normal character gen step. Um, that's detailed again on page 30. It's on the bottom left hand of the column. That gives you your occupation skill points, your credit rating band, and your um, specialty skills. Uh, okay, I see. Thank you. So that's that's kind of like if you're a career. You, yeah, came that's, in, you pretty much came in right after college or... Yeah, exactly that, or even recruited at college. Yeah, okay. Right. The the character that I I previously created for this, uh, I had I had decided that his father and grandfather were both doctors, and that he got involved he got involved because he helped to thwart a biological attack uh, from Afghanistan, and uh, it just they caught that that was when he was a younger man. I mean he's only thirty six, but. It was it was so impressive that they recruited him, <laughs> you know. So he's got some previous medical background before he uh, got special training. Yeah. Well, that's such reminded me. There is one other uh, thing to consider um, in terms of um, being a spy: is what's your motivation for doing so? Um, there's a nice acronym for it, which I, if I remember off the top of my head, is MICE, which um, there's um, ego, the E in the sentence there, which is that you, you're effectively, you like being the James Bond type character. You like being a spy. You like, it basically boosts your own ego to do so, and you do it because you really want to. Mm -hmm. um, M, money, or I would say for most other organizations, it's the lack of it. Because um, one of the things it does, uh, does highlight specifically in the sandbaggers is that um, operatives are not paid very much. Um, they are the SIS are rather envious of the CIA because they get to fly out uh, to a mission first class and return first class, whereas SIS get flown out first class and if you survive they don't really give a shit they'll put you back in cattle class on the way home. Wow. Um, there's, yeah, the remuner uh, remuneration is not particularly high for certain agencies, but money is still a, a motivating force for some people. Um, there's also um, coercion. So that if, for instance, that you are in a position where an agency has a hold over you, they can basically say, you're going to work for us or you're going to disappear or you're going to end up being thrown in prison, etc. Right. And I, I can't remember what I mean, uh, what I stand for. Um, I think it might be um, kind of patriotism, etc. that you're doing it for a sense of duty. Um, that you're doing it because you think it's the right thing to do for that it is for your national interests. Involvement in the country, yeah. Yeah, I, kind of, I just can't remember what the, uh, the letter they used was. Ideology? Yes, that's it, yeah. Ideology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you are very much doing it with a kind of patriotic 
motivating force behind it but it is yeah it's your own principles that say this is the right thing to do rather than being self-serving like the ego option would be i wonder if i guess maybe e, e would be ego for if you were insatiably curious about it you know about what's going on maybe that's your own ego yeah, because it's, it's a very internal, it's very much you that's the driving force here rather than seeing it as a external force at that point. Right. And I can see, I can see the idea of money uh, if people are thinking James Bond, because mm -hmm. obviously James Bond has all the money in the world at his disposal that he can have crackers and caviar wherever he goes. Yeah, real spy work does not work like that. No. <laughs> Well, in the very fact that James Bond walks in and he says, yes, I'm James Bond, the secret agent from, you know, it's like. <laughs> the world's worst secret agent in that state. Yeah. yeah. Unless the theory is true that they're all James Bond. <laughs> oh, that it's... reminds me of the, the original Casino Royale now. Oh, God. Okay, so um, let's let's just sort of do a quick walk through. Um, do you choose? You choose. Basically, you're going to choose your uh, your occupation uh -huh. and your special is special specialism. Uh, it's got personality up here. I guess that's just sort of a trait, or yeah, it's partly with your motivation in mind as to how how you act, and again, your motivations behind uh, what you do and why you're involved in the intelligence agencies. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. And then, um, of course, nationality uh, agency you're working for. Now, when you when it comes to the characteristics, they're 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 pretty much the same as, as regular Call of Cthulhu characteristics. Yes. Yeah, uh, 3d6 times by 5 for strength, con, pal, dex, and app. Okay. And then 2d6 plus 6 times 5 for int, size, and edu. Whoa. And is the stat array okay to use, too? Oh, if you were, when the pre-designed, um, so the pre-designed number option, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you, if you feel more comfortable using that, then by all means, yeah. Okay. I think I think there is a, there is actually a quick fire method in the book. Can someone put that in the chat? Yeah. Um, yeah, page thirty-seven. There is a quick fire method which gives you the list of numbers to allocate across the board. Okay, great. I um I forget my email. My cat turned off my computer. Okay. <laughs> She's working with the uh, the other side. <laughs> All far suddenly joined the cold, cold war. <laughs> okay. Um, 40, 50, 50, 50, 60, 60, 70, 80. That's it. Yep. Okay. So it's just the normal same stat array as the regular. Can I do that, Jeff, as well, if that's what you're doing. I think. That's probably what I do. Is that where we are? Did I, did I miss anything? Or are we just doing stats? We're. Stats. we're, we're are going um i don't know i would almost think that you might get rid of the 40 since yeah that kind of implies you're below average on something i would 
you know, it's like so fairly generous when it comes to numbers. Um, drop out the 40 and add in another 70. Oh, wow. Damn. <laughs> I just like that. Yeah, I, I like to have pieces that are competent in what they do rather than going, oh, I missed another roll. Oh, I missed another one. I'm going to change this one to 50. This one. Cool. And then we've got, let's see, we've got hit points, which is pretty much normal. Mm -hmm. Do we follow the same sort of thing where, where you hit zero and the, you start, uh, you get a major wound and... Yeah, otherwise it's the basic 7th uh, Ed mechanics with these built on top of them. So, yeah, as, as it works in 7th Ed, we'll work the same here regarding hit points. Okay. Uh, remember, before getting into doing derived stats like hit points, magic points and such, um, if you are changing your age beyond the normal um, banding, that uh, make improvement checks for your education, for example, and also start removing certain um, certain attributes down as you get older. Right. Is that the same as seventh edition? The uh... yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, it's deduct ten points from strength, dexterity, or constitution, and then three. It's three education rules or improvement rules. If, if you're between fifty and fifty-nine, yeah. Yeah, and I am, I am just, I've just turned 50. Yep, so uh, that would be, as you said, you have 10 points amongst those. But you lose your movement rate. You go down on movement rate then at 50 or 40. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah by nature of your points going down. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even know where to start. Every, everything's going to take a roll, right? Or... Unless you're like 15 and 19. Yeah, pretty much. Unless even if you're between 20 and 30, you're still making an improvement check for your edu education. Right. So yeah, the, the, um, yeah. 15, the 15 to 19 would be you are such a raw recruit, it is un unreal. But it would mean then at least you don't have to worry too much about uh, doing any other roles at that point. It's just modifying stats. <laughs> Was it just, uh, it was for these checks, it was just roll and try to get under, then you would improve it by a certain amount? I'd be um, over them. If you roll over it? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you have to fail it to then improve on it. That's right. Okay. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Is what kind of agent I'm going to be? Did everybody else come up with something in that last five minutes when I was not here? Um, I was. I discussed it. I. I. I've kind of chosen a, a doctor biologist, who, at some point in the past, thwarted a, a, a biological attack. So, okay. they were, they were impressed at his performance. So they've they've recruited him, and I think that he's doing it for ego. I think that he's <laughs> he just wants he wants to be part of the inner circle that gets to see all the weird stuff. And dissect it. <laughs> and go mad in the process. <laughs> sure. Yes, but his madness might take the form of uh, apathy, uh, not apathy, um, a amorality, just uh, becoming, uh, 
you know, in, in nude to all of the, the horror. So realizing that the, the world isn't playing by the right set of rules. Right. Or it's playing by scientific rules. They're just science we don't understand yet. And everybody becomes, in his mind, just monkeys. <laughs> that, uh, but he's not there yet. <laughs> give, it, give it time. <laughs> so if I like the idea of being the, I don't want to call him a thug, but just the tough guy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking covert actions operative. Yeah, definitely. That would, that would certainly fit. And then you also have the uh, alternate to playing an intelligence officer where you're just an agent, and it looks like you said the 200 points in the specific skills, you kind of allocate them all over in a different way? Well, the intelligence officer um, is more taking the place of your standard occupation that you would put into your normal character creation template. Okay. Oh. So you can be both. You can be an intelligence officer because that's part of step five. And then your specialist training would be as a covert actions operative, and that's where you put the other two hundred points in for those skills. Okay. All right. Okay. I think I do like the covert action operative. We're going to make an interesting group of people. Can. Um, I may not have been here for it, but what organizations can we put trust into? What ones do you want? Hmm. Bear in mind that you've got a you've only got a certain number of points. Yeah. Spreading them thinly will mean that you could be trusted a little bit by a lot of people, or really trusted by a few people. So it would, really depends. I would much rather be trusted by one group. I'll have to do my research, my specific research on uh, on the Cold War at the at the time because this is the second Cold War. I'm pretty sure it's the yeah. the latter the latter stage thereof. It's after where most things have uh, gone hot. This is a an oddly quiet in terms of what the world would consider is happening at this yeah. time. It's I, uh... the destruction of the Soviet uh, rupee ruble. I, I lost I lost track Thomas what what part were you talking about trust trust where is trust so trust is what page let me see it it's page thirty um, uh, it introduces so Cold War introduces a new attribute in the game trust trust measures an organization's faith in an individual investigator an investigator begins play with eighty trust points to split between as many groups as the player wishes. Although we recommend that the investigator has at least forty points of trust with a certain agency, yeah. and also Section Forty Six will come under that bracket as well. So it depends on how much you want to be trusted by your own um, anti-mythos side, as it were. Damn! So you may not even be trusted by the organization that hired you. <laughs> exactly. Or well, and, uh, as we'll have, as you'll find with some NPCs, some of them may be even trusted more by other organ other agencies other than their own. So since we're all CIA, we would have forty in CIA as a minimum, then, right? That's the recommended level. Yeah, that's the recommended level, not the not the mandatory level. Okay. Yeah. But it could be, you know, like like using my character as an example, it could be that the CIA is like, he's a brilliant scientist, but 
is he really working for us more than he's working for himself? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a project paperclip scientist. We got him from Nazi Germany, so but we don't really know what he's going to do. <laughs> On the other hand, Section 46 might be, yeah, he's a... <laughs> If we say take apart that uh, that deep one over there, he'll be like, okay, <laughs> fun. I'm just trying to find the. There is a quick overview of different organisations around the world. Uh, we go. There's. I think I got my skills. There are various, um, as mentioned, terrorist organisations which are active. Uh, at this time, um, normally you could say have trust with them, um, but I'd be more inclined, as um, as we discussed, me leaving them more to the realms of NPCs. You'd be looking at other other agencies. Um, these could be, if you really wanted to play it dangerously, you could have KGB. Um, you could also have the likes of the Stasi uh, for the uh, Germans, uh, the West East German secret police. Uh, there is the local intelligence agency in Turkey is the MIT, uh, which would give you a connection to people on the ground where you're going to be based. Um, there's also SIS in the UK. Um, there's organizations in Canada. There's Australia. Pretty much most countries that say we had an active presence in the global theater will have their own intelligence agency that you could be connected with. Okay. Can you give an example how that stat might be used, like in the during the game? Like, yeah, um, it's the way I normally use it is if you wanted to requisition equipment or information from um, your superiors to say you want to go in, um, go to a superior, say I need to request a submachine gun. I re I need some heavy artillery to deal with the problem that we've got. The covert part doesn't generally work too well when you start firing a lot of lead in the air because it, it tends to draw attention. <laughs> so um, they're only really going to uh, give out such equipment or like explosives, etc., etc., to agents that they trust and that they know won't go and be a complete moron with them. Um, it also could be the same of you want to request information about a not restricted subject, but something that you may be uh, may be less talked about in the agency, trying to find out rumors um, about your superiors or other operatives elsewhere. So it's broadly fits down to intelligence gathering within your agent and within the agency you have trust with and requisitioning equipment or weaponry, etc. Mm, okay. Is is 20 a high trust? Uh, there are bandings for it. Uh, let me get the page with that on. Okay. I have I'm a question wondering. about the example that you gave a moment ago, but we'll go ahead and go ahead and do Thomas's. Uh, levels of trust begins on page forty-five and carries over to forty-six. Uh, Twenty would put you into the band partially trusted, which is two to forty-nine. Uh, the person has formed a positive relationship with the organization. Faith in such an individual will be limited. Someone at this level may work within the organization, but their access to information will be strictly limited. Um, if the organization wish to make greater use of the individual, they are likely to be given tasks that test loyalty, resulting in a die roll to either build or erode trust. Um, building and eroding trust happens a bit like a sanity reward or loss, depending on whether you do something good for the agency or you screw up in the course of a mission, at which point it may erode your trust. 
Where is, where is trust on the on the paper? That's a good question because it used to have its own box when we uh, when I was running. Uh, it's on the back actually. It's on the um, the second part, uh, the second side down in the bottom left hand corner. Uh, I see it. Okay, that's cool. That's actually a pretty well well good way to do it. My question was, as you were talking a moment ago about trust, and you mentioned a submachine gun. Um, you have a high trust. They're willing to trust you not to blow blow your cover. Okay. Uh-huh. In gameplay, if a, a, a player says, well, I'm going to jump out the window and just start shooting the machine gun at everything, would you turn around and say, that's going to destroy your trust from the organization? If as long as you so. don't break them. Um, you, if you run the risk of breaking the 11th commandment, thou shalt not get caught because it won't erode your trust mystically by just doing it. It's mainly how it gets back to your superiors and how it's spun. I see. So it, it risks it. But but potentially. It depends on how you deal with the situation, yeah. Okay, cool. I actually like that that idea of the trust. Yes, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. Could that be used in, like, um, trying to obtain information considered, like, above your pay grade or... Yeah, definitely. Okay. So you could you could pull on strings to see if you can find someone who's willing to give you that info. Uh, me. So then, sanity and luck and all that are the same. Uh-huh. I was going to say, with with luck, um, I am a definite advocate of using the rule because it's this is an optional rule in the book um, that you can spend luck to modify your roles up and down. Right. Um, particularly um, if you want to use it to imp- um, to worsen your role so that you can fail your int roll for when you lose more than five points of sanity in one go. Um, you still can't use it to affect the san roll, but you can use it to affect the int roll afterwards to make it more likely that you fail because that means it's a beneficial result for you, which is what luck's supposed to do. Um, if you're rolling luck on your 3d6 times five, if you get less than 45, you can re-roll it. So I don't want anyone starting with 15 and then the party luck roll always being a fail. Okay. Do you have a cap on, uh, on luck spending? Um, no. If you've got it, you can spend it. <laughs> but just beware that it's going to affect your luck roll when it comes up. Right. <laughs> uh, if we're determining our age right now and we have to do advancements as far as uh, improvement checks, should we do those right now? Uh, as long as they don't interfere that with anything that comes up later, then yeah, do do them as and when you want to. So we, it'd, be, we, it'd be good to do your stat. It'd be good to do your stats now because that will obviously affect your points for skills later on. Right. We okay. all we all need to send these to to Matthew so that he can make sure that we haven't overly. Super, super made ourselves into superheroes of some sort. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Pulp Cthulhu. That's a different game. <laughs> well, I know we have to multiply the education, right, to get our initial points to spend. But if we're a certain age, our our education might possibly be higher, right? Yeah. Should we build yeah. it first and then do the roll afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Make make sure that your stats, as per your age differences, are set in stone now. So that then you can work out your derived stats and your skill points from those. 
yeah, rather than having to go back and then go, oh, I've got an extra so many points I need to drop in X, Y, and Z. Okay. What are the two boxes right on the first page where it says start and max? Is that referring to sanity? Uh, yeah, have a look. Right in the middle, towards the top. Oh, I think it's what your start, yeah, starting san and your maximum sanity would okay. be. And the temp insane and indefinite insane are meant to be what check boxes or? Yeah, they're too they're too small to put any proper writing in there. So I would say that if you have become temporarily insane or you become indefinitely insane, yeah, you'd be a case of ticking those boxes and then elaborating upon them on the second sheet when you're looking at phobias, manias, etc. Okay. Okay, let's look at some of the skills that are different. Um, some of them we are, are similar, obviously, to uh, adult green, such as uh, human intelligence and signal intelligence. Um, uh -huh. Command, is that our ability to take uh, charge? The way, yeah, the, the way I describe command is that it's credit rating of the battlefield. It's your ability to say, look, I'm the one in charge. You do this, you do that, you do the other in a combat environment. So when it's high stress, um, usually in a military circumstance, uh, it is a skill that's normally possessed by military personnel, but it's not restricted just to that type of character. But in this, um, I would say in this kind of campaign, because you're going to be working more in a social, not civilian context, but out and about in a city, involved with, involvement with the military is not going to be too often. Cryptography is kind of obvious um uh -huh. as it says on the tin uh let's see a demolition's blowing things up uh -huh. fighting we we fight more or less the same way that we do in in call of cthulhu yep uh, fighting brawl uh firearms usually handgun rifle shotgun etc military science that's another, again, use, use more on battlefield situations. It's a catch-all skill for bits of tactics, for bits of improvising wep um, weaponry, uh, setting traps, predicting enemy movements, that kind of thing. Okay. Tradecraft. That's one that, that I didn't use. I saw in here that's different. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a skill that's evolved between this uh, between the original Darkest Hour mechanics and the Cold War. I there is an option for using it for combining with other skill checks, but I frankly I don't like it. Um, it overcomplicates the mechanic when you can just say, well, put a higher difficulty on a, on a check. It seems a bit of a redundancy to me. the The way I would use it is the earlier definition in the book where it says that again this is a catch-all skill for doing things that a spy would be able to do things like arranging dead drops um shadowing someone tailing someone but under the extent where it's not necessarily explicitly covered by another skill such as bugs you wouldn't be able to plant with a tradecraft skill you'd use signals for that instead okay yeah, if, if you can if you can blag it as being that a spy would be able to do this, then generally tradecraft will be the skill that you use. Right. So if I if I have 
if I'm a biologist and, and medical guy, I know how to use medical equipment and all of the the stuff involved and mm-hmm. I know how to I know how to run a lab and, and what things happen. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You're gonna be like, oh, that's a test tube. You're gonna have to roll to see if you know how to use it. Um no. No, definitely not. <laughs> How about organization knowledge? Is that similar to the trust, or is uh, that? Th- this is how well you know your opponents. Um, this can be spe- uh, specific to certain organizations, or it's more like uh, more normally applied to operational theaters, so that you have particular knowledge over the organizations that work in a particular area. Um, there's a list of them on page 43 that says. For example, you have specializations in the Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, the Near or Middle East, Far East, South Asia, etc. So for here, you'd be looking at Near Middle East for Turkey. Okay. Are there any skills that, um, for this particular scenario that we're going into, the, the intersections, that you want us to have a fairly strong thing on. I have a look. an example would be like a cult because you know that's what we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're computer having, use, whatever. Yeah, having a bit of history certainly wouldn't hurt. Mm. Um, so that someone who knows a little bit about the historical context. Of what's happening in Istanbul could be quite helpful. Um, other than that, there's a fair there's a fairly wide range of topics that the campaign could potentially cover, depending on where you want to do and who you want to interact with. So there's not one single skill that I would say dominates the rest to say, oh, someone has to have this for this to work. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned previously, um, having languages to be able to speak what the locals speak will be handy, but is not essential. Right. Uh, I just think that you know, in a lot of the games that we play for Call of Cthulhu, we have a uh, an organization we made up in based in Mis- in the Mis- in uh, in Arkham, and anybody who belongs to that is going to obviously have like fifty percent occult, just because <laughs> that's what they do all day long. Is um, uh, I had a question. What the hell was it? It'll come back to me. Oh. I'm going to actually apologize to everybody in advance because I'm very bad at history. So if there's a if there's a negative skill number to put in there, I could probably put a negative. <laughs> we'll, just give actually, you a, we'll just give you a penalty die on each roll, don't we? <laughs> okay. I, I know what I was going to ask you. Now, outside of the game, mm-hmm. uh, because I like to enrich my character. So is there is there things in history you you mentioned where uh, November? Uh, 1973, should we study or look at the things that happened previous to that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say have a look on, um, even if it's something like Wikipedia or have a look on some news sites, so to familiarize yourself with the 
um, with the current affairs around that time, just so that you've got an idea of things that are in the news, things that are topical that people might be talking about, or things thinking specifically to Istanbul, things that have happened in the city that are notable at that point. Again, because it's something that people are going to be talking about, it's people that are going to be potentially referenced, even saying, oh, well, how, how come you don't know about this? Have you been living under a rock? But as you are new to the area, it's quite possible you don't know anything about it. But say, if you want to do some advanced research, it certainly won't hurt. Excellent, cool. Anything to avoid, because... <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, don't look up the Sedevkar simulacrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, you know, for those of you that may be playing Horror in the Orient Express, there are elements of that that will appear in this. Uh, because, obviously, the, uh, that really, really great campaign uh, does, feature, uh, does take place a lot in Constantinople, whereas it is now Istanbul. Um, so there are elements of that that will appear in this, but not anything that would potentially be a spoiler to you playing that campaign. It's, there's, there's a few nods and winks here and there. Cool. So we'll just try not to watch your FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, if I suddenly go. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, worse, if I just like do this and I pull out a gun and shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, this place called the Shunned Mosque? What, what, what's so bad about there? <laughs> <laughs> They don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, that's a, actually that's one one thing actually that did, uh, would be a good idea. Um, have just have a look at the Wikipedia page for Istanbul and get an idea of the layout of the different uh, districts in the city. Mm -hmm. So that you get an idea of uh, things like Belugu being the international hub, where when it was originally the capital, it's where all the um, embassies were based. Uh, there are lots of real historical and so true real world landmarks that will come up in the game. So having an idea about the layout of the city might be a good thing to look at. Okay. Always wanted to go there. Oh, me too. Especially after uh, especially after writing this, <laughs> it's been my. Um, I did have a look at the viability of uh, taking a, a weekend out and then stay at the Pera Palace Hotel and have a look at things like Agatha Christie's uh, memorial room and so on, and oh, yeah. having a look, having a look around that kind of major international hub of the city. I, I want to fly to London and then take a train all the way to Constantinople <laughs> on the historic route of the Orient Express. That would be awesome. Uh, cost a fortune too, but I'd love to do it. <laughs> I find that little uh, find that little uh, museum that uh, Jeff showed me online. That's in it was it in Vincovsi? No, it was in Trieste. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it was like oh there it is. Oh my god. <laughs> See, I like I I lived in Boston for a while. I I lived outside of I lived in Acton, but Acton is right down from Bolton, where the Bolton Cemetery is. That's in Reanimator. The, the the story Herbert West and I'm like oh my god that's where he got his bodies from right there <laughs> I always think that's really cool to be able to see those places you know was that when we were going, when we went round uh, Providence for Necronomicon seeing things like the Fleur de Lis mm -hmm. building from the Call of Cthulhu oh yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah and say it was suddenly oh yeah that's what that's what you meant by terrible architecture oh yeah he was right yeah <laughs> that that. That blew me away. Yeah, because I was like walking past it, and I was like, 
I've seen this building somewhere before. <laughs> That's in the movie. Um, all right, so... I have a question, if I can. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm still stuck back on trying to figure out my career, um, mm -hmm. which I, I have an idea, but it says you got direct recruits and prior career. So I was thinking prior career, and it says Call of Cthulhu, Keeper Rulebook, or Investigator Handbook. Mm -hmm. Like, So I looked at the... I, I like the idea of military officer. Is is that fine then into... Oh yeah, definitely. There are plenty of instances where you'd have personnel within the armed forces um, that would be seconded into um, the intelligence services because they either they're useful people, um, like there were plenty that went across from the SAS thinking from uh, from the UK perspective. Okay. So yeah, it's definitely within the realms of possibility there. All right, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not taking too many points, but it says skill points is, is education times two plus either dex times two or strength times two. So I would just pick one and then take the edu, combine it, do all that with the skills. That's right? it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I looked up the Irish Intel Secret Service, but I'm not sure if that's right, but they're called the G2. So I'm thinking something might possibly there. I don't know. I'm just- It's not, not an area that I focus too much on my research of, but if you <laughs> want to go down that route, I can certainly do a bit. <laughs> Part part of this game has always been education. That uh, yeah, some of the players educate us, the other players on things like that. I gotta do research. It's cool. I learned a lot about the 1920s just trying to run a regular Call of Cthulhu game. Like yeah. just like, was this invented yet? I don't even know. Was this a concept? What was it like back then? I gotta look it up. You know. Yeah, it it came up the other night when we were playing a Trick of the Light, and it said in uh, 1927 and. Somebody brought up the subway, and we all thought, well, they didn't have subways yet. But it turns out subways, that Boston area was the first place that ever had subways, and it was from the 1800s. And I'm like, oh, my God. Wow, really? That, that's amazing. I wouldn't have pegged it back that far, but wow. Well, and the, the submarines were invented in like 1860-something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's amazing. Didn't know any of that. Or the machine gun was invented back then. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it uh, usually we sit here with our iPads while we're playing the games. <laughs> license plates. That came up one time. Did cars have license plates, you know, everywhere? And they didn't everywhere. And what were the gun laws at, in 1921 or 1923? Uh. I think the most uh, obscure question I ever had at the game table uh, has been fairly recently, actually. Uh, what was the exchange rate and what was the um, amount needed to buy basically tomatoes from California in 2005 by the, by the tens of thousands? <laughs> you don't get that one every day. Most obscure question that came up for us was in the 1800s in the, um, in the, uh, uh, the Blood Red Fez, um, how did they light the train at night? Uh, since they didn't have electricity, did they use candles? Did they use this? And it turned out to be pinched light, which, uh, added a, a really cool creep factor because you had a key on the wall that turned the, the flame up. It actually turned the oxygen up that was feeding the flame. And when you had it turned up, it's a very white light. So it's nice and bright. When you turn it down, it turns blue. 
So all I kept thinking was at night they would turn all these lights down and there would just be this blue glow all through the train, which made it really freaking scary. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was it was done instead of acetylene because if acetylene was used and the train crashed, it would explode. And Pench Light didn't do that. So mm -hmm. what things you think you learned playing this game? Yeah. How would something work like what you're talking about, Lucas, with um, like having the Irish background or like if you're working for the CIA, would you be brought in? Like, would that be an example of trust maybe? Or I, I like the idea of being in the Irish army as a military officer, right? So he's got a little older, um, a lot of training, and then brought into the CIA. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about it yet. I just like that concept where it's going. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be tough and experienced and have dealt with a lot of shit. You mm -hmm. know, had to deal with a lot of lot of lot of people that aren't good. We've had to use a lot of intimidation roles and diplomacy, but mostly intimidation. And uh, I, I'm thinking even possibly the trust factor with his own Irish government or the Irish army might actually be kind of low, which might have led him into being drawn, especially after the experience he had with the mythos, whatever it is, might have had him drawn towards the CIA to 46, you know? Mm -hmm. number eight? Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking maybe his own thing is kind of low, and then his, his trust with the group he's with now is much higher. I think I'm, that's kind of where, if that's, uh, did I answer your question? Kind of that? Yeah, I guess in general, do we know? I just assume that if you're CIA, you have to be an American, but I guess they, they hire and use people from all over, don't they? Yeah. Just, uh, they can have coerced you if you're a member of um, any nationality where they've been operating to say that, well, we now we have a hold over you. You're going to work for us. Um, you don't have to be born American. You can be anyone anywhere as long as you basically the agency has found you. Mm, okay. Doesn't it also seem likely that when we were talking 1970s, he could just be an Irishman from an Irish community in New York, maybe second generation. Mm -hmm. That's true. Still have the the Irish accent and but still is American. The and being American, but uh, maybe mm, have man. family loyalties back in Ireland that uh, that tear him in two different directions. Or who knows? You know. Actually, some good. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm just trying to like, what was what was my past as far as my job, and get my skill points in order here because I think I feel like I'm way behind. But um, I don't want to rush either. You know, I don't want to rush it. Well, you're gonna have like two or three months, so I don't know if that's enough time. <laughs> you you do what I do. You walk around. You talk to yourself. You you talk to yourself in character. You have arguments. You well, we have in that character for a while. We'll be having a wait a few conversations with with ourselves here. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah, okay. I, I find myself listening to people talking in, in the language that I want to imitate. Mm -hmm. What's your, what have you decided your nationality to be, Tom? Oh, I'm just going to be an American. Right. I, I, I think I've, I've done a lot with the accents, and I think I'm just, just an American, probably from Boston. So I might have the Boston accent because that's Oh, yeah. Accent. You got to have that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe I'm playing in a game where I'm set in Boston, but I don't have an, a, a Boston accent. I have a French accent. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sacre bleu. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's hard to maintain that French accent because they keep doing good, falling into German accent. German's the easiest one to do. Hmm? Russian's easy to do too, but I don't think that I should be a Russian in <laughs> the CIA. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking. It seems a little weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's potentially it would mean that you walk a very fine tightrope if you're. Um, Say some of your um, comrades were to learn of your involvement with yes. the with the West. I have to watch out for people who have umbrellas. Because <laughs> stick me with the umbrella, and I am a dead man. I was to say rice in tip. Rice in tip. Yes, umbrellas. Uh, Wayne just said in the chat he's going to go with a Russian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, there could be a Russian that has thought by trade by his homeland and has turned turned tail, or there's. Um, there's a yeah, huge, have... There was a huge national Russian people who were anti-communist. Yeah, and left. You, you know, they left in in droves. But is Wayne going to be the nuclear physicist as he said before? That's what I want to know, Wayne. Mm -hmm. We shall all now. There's comes up the next question: Do we all know each other? Do we not know each other? Have we heard of each other? Is that, uh, that all? is that is completely down to you. That's, um, I will let you set the group dynamic in that respect. Okay. So do we need to know why we're coming together? Or we just happen to be in in, in, in Istanbul? Uh, you can start potentially anywhere. Um, if you're all mostly US citizens, then, for instance, we could start with a briefing at Langley and then have you sent over um, to Istanbul, because there is potentially stuff that can happen on the way there as well. Um, the the premise for your meeting is that uh, this isn't particularly spoilerific, um, is that there has been word coming through the Consulate General in Istanbul um, that a suspected Soviet agent has approached them with um, an offer to defect. And that as this is a person that they've had on their watch list for some time, your primary mission would be to go out there, vet him to see if actually he is a Soviet agent that wants to come into defect, and then assess him, get as much information as you can out of him, and then make the call on the, in the field to say, do you want to bring him in or not? Okay. So we all work for the Consulate General. That would be your cover. Yeah. Right. It's, a fairly, it's a fairly standard policy. Um, most consulates um, are fronts for intelligence agencies um, across the world. So it's kind of an open secret. We probably know each other from the consulate itself. We yeah, uh, that's... If, yeah. We could have heard of each other too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you've got particularly high trust. Perhaps we work, yeah, we work in different parts of the, the consulate. and Yeah, okay. Let's, let's all come together. Is there anything else you guys want to go over? I mean, I'm I've pretty much got all my skills. I've got my HP. I've got everything. I'm just looking at weapons right now. How about Walter P P PPK? <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. I'm thinking about getting the Tommy gun. <laughs> I, I just want the Aston Martin. You just go old school. Yeah. I'm gonna get a pump shotgun and just be like, I I need this. How how important to you is it that we keep track of funds? 
no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not into that level of minutiae. Don't worry. Okay. Um, what was the thing about credit rating again? And like, like mine suggests a twenty to seventy. What was I? Yeah, because you're still going to be um, having your own source of funds. I mean, you can also requisition fund agency funds if you need them, mm -hmm. but credit rating is again your own like social standing. It's your own gravitas that you can bring to um, situations. Okay. So the recommended band for an intelligence operative to put it into uh, intelligence officer is twenty to seventy. Um, it really is going to be your call. Just again, about, remember that you'll be abiding by the consequences of your choices if, it, if you take something too low or too high that you might come to the attention of some people because you will not stick out like a sore thumb, but you'll draw attention if you've got a lot of cash that you're flying, uh, throwing around. Just making it rain, like no, no, it's cool. It's cool. I'm good. Especially, especially considering that the currency in Turkey at that point, and I think still is today, is the world's weakest currency. It's <laughs> um, pretty much it starts dropping off a cliff around the seventies. Throwing and the, dollar bills everywhere, just like no, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. You guys might have just said this, and I, I was reading the rules. So I might have missed it. Are we starting in Turkey or are we starting in America and going to Turkey? Uh, depending on how you want the group set up, um, we could do either or. Oh. Um, my, my preference, admittedly, would be that you have your briefing in somewhere like Langley and then head to to, um, to Istanbul. Well, let's okay. do that. That yeah. makes sense. Because what I'm wondering is, like you were just talking about, Thomas, I think, with the weapons, like are we going to need to worry about Getting weapons through the airport, or are there standard? Um, sure, that if we show credentials, do we? Like that, they'll pass through. Do we fly on conventional airlines? I don't know. Uh, generally, you would fly by a conventional airline. Um, as mentioned, that they're using that sandbagger analogy. They'll generally ship you out business class or first class. Um, so they do generally mean that you ride in comfort. Um, if you're associated with a consulate general, you have the advantage of having diplomatic bags. So getting certain things through customs is going to be easier than other people. Um, but also then bear in mind that you have a base, of, you have a station head already set up in the city. Wow. Uh, they are going to have um, assets and equipment at their disposal that they can give to you when you arrive on the scene. Okay. Flight queue, yeah. We, we, everything's <laughs> waiting for us there. Yeah, it's a, it's a less um, sci-fi gadget like a bit, bit more realistic. <laughs> hey, umbrellas with rice and tips there. That's sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do we have any other questions? Any other things no. we're confused about? I'm pretty much I'm pretty much done. I'm looking at a at a pretty full sheet here. I'm going to probably sit over the next weekend or so and play around. We'll have the, um, the table for um, working out cash and assets in, in regard to credit rating. Um, you can use it if you want, but as I mentioned, I'm not particularly um, interested in keeping a record of you've got X amount of free cash that you can spend. Okay. It's it's more, I do it on a case-by-case -case basis. If it sounds like oh, that's going to be something that's going to be a fair whack that you're going to need to raise funds for, at that point, we may resort to a couple of roles. But other than that, I'm fairly easygoing. I don't want to keep track of what's in your bank account. That's too much like my day job. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, can does anybody have any ideas for their 
Cthulhu Mythos story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are we allowed to share out. those? Yeah, if, if you want to if you want to share them now so that you get ideas that maybe if you don't want to cover the same base, like not everyone has to have run across a sand dweller out in the um, out in the Middle East. That you can have a breadth of experiences. So again, yeah, you don't want to double up on anything. Um, it may be stuff that you know in character gen between you, but whether you know it in character or not, that's gonna be dependent on the character how much information they want to share with others. Yeah. I mean, maybe we could say something like just like this is what we I experience, and that way we go. Oh, okay, he's gonna do he's gonna do Migos, so I should do Tocho Tocho. Like I should do I should be that instead of the Migo. Well, if you'd like, I'll read what I wrote. Sure. Okay. It's kind of a, a direction I kind of went before. Um, it says an incident near Boston, Massachusetts. I was asked to save the life of a man who originated in a town called Innsmouth. Uh, externally human but with gross malformations and mutations internally. I think uh, they expected that I would turn and run. I did not. I continued unperturbed and saved the man's life. I was recruited soon afterwards. Oh. So okay. I wasn't really phased by this strange frog fish person. And that, that was my qualification right there. I, I was thinking about something in um, Cairo in 52. Ah, on, uh, mm -hmm. Black Saturday. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure what yet, but sort of pulling in the the, the, the Middle East angle as well. I'm uh, I'm thinking about going with uh, a spy plane went down over uh, the uh, over uh, the border between Russia and Alaska, and uh, the extraction team was sent in to destroy the remnants of the plane. And while above the Arctic Circle, uh, the, the the veil between our dimension and the next began to like thin, and okay. Ithaca, and Ithaca showed up, the Windwalker, and we were essentially trapped. And my character was one of the only survivors, and he was just like he was saying that there was this huge beast lumbering in the snow, and no one believed him except for Section Forty Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would definitely so, fit. So, so how much Cthulhu Mythos are we are we allocating for um... Yeah, as I said. Yeah. I gave myself five for that encounter. I was thinking at least five, that's a good number. Yeah, it mm -hmm. is it is it is supposed to be five five for a first encounter, isn't it? So... Yep, and if you potentially want to take that higher um, using things like the Mythos Experience package in the, uh, I believe it's in the seventh ed uh, core book or the Investigator handbook, um, then again you can do that. Um, but beware, obviously, it will impact upon your sanity as well. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. How about now? How about the use of magic? Um, can yeah. would you object to somebody having a little bit of that? Um, depending on, you'd have to take the Mythos Experience package so that you had access to a single spell. Um, there is definitely the chance that you will learn and perform magic in the course of the campaign. Um, but if you if you wanted to start with some, I wouldn't be adverse to that. Depending on what skill, uh, what spell it is that you choose. Shrivel. <laughs> <laughs> 
ultimate <laughs> universal annihilation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't report there, all right. <laughs> I think I'd lean, lean more towards the former than the latter in those two, <laughs> unsurprisingly. <laughs> I'm I'm John Constantine. <laughs> seagull. <laughs> Was that summon a seagull? <laughs> <laughs> summon a seagull. Or summon hat. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a call. The there was a combat cool that could just cause someone to suddenly be wearing a hat. <laughs> that would confuse them momentarily. Minor telekinesis. You can only hold a marble in your hand, and it just flips there. That's really all you can do. It's a cool little trick, but that's it. You can take something from what was it? A spell from Chameleon, the guy who could point at you, and then you'd suddenly have a dot. Just that's it. You'd have a dot, a colored dot. Hang on, wasn't wasn't there a, a show where someone's power was that they could move something a couple of inches to the left or something? <laughs> but you know what? Turning a flipping a switch or something that would be perfect. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's what he used. They mainly used it for opening latches. Hmm. I suppose if you refined that skill, you could move the tumblers inside of a lock and open the door. Mm -hmm. Okay, anything else, gentlemen? I was trying to get your attention, Tom. I was going to say, tell people where we can, where they can get a hold of uh, oh. the Yeah, actually, I'm going to add that in. Okay. Um, actually, let Matthew do that because he probably knows I'd have to look it up. <laughs> I can put oh. the link in the bottom too. Sure. Yeah, I'll just uh, put the link in there to um, to the Cubicle Seven website. That'd be the best place to have a look. Or if uh, people want to get the PDF, then from Drive Through RPG. Excellent. All right, gentlemen. Then then let me go ahead. Um, uh, our 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 uh, a tremendous amount of thanks to Matthew Sanderson for helping us create our characters and and grasp the finer points of the game that we've been looking for. Uh, we've been looking forward to. Uh, thanks to our players for participating, and thanks for everybody who's watching. Uh, this is Tom Rayleigh, together with all the members of our gaming club, inviting you to journey with us once again into the darkness for another adventure into the universe of H.P. Lovecraft and the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Until next time, good luck and good gaming.